Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who I think was feeling pretty lonely this past week given how tightly he embraced me today, Yanatan. <laughs> Do you want to say hi, Yanni? It's actually true. It's been a little bit since uh, we recorded because you were on a quick little trip. So welcome back. Glad to be back in the booth. Thank you. Thank you. Just in time for our fully legal episode. This is our 18th <laughs> episode now. So We were talking about if you were going to make that joke before the podcast or not. Very, very happy that you did. All right. Well, uh, I don't really have much prepared for the top of the show. I mean, I think since we last recorded, we did end up going to see Heaven's Feel in theaters. That was really good overall, but also hilarious because Ravi just turned to me many times during the show. And it was like, what the fuck is happening right now? Yeah, the funny thing is you brought your friend along too and you had hyped up this guy as like a fate connoisseur. He, he, he knows is, everything yeah. about it. And, and we went to see the fate movie with him. And I just remember looking over at him and he was the what the fuck is going on face <laughs> too. True. He did rationalize it post movie pretty well for us, but yeah, there were some what the fuck moments, but I think it was totally worth going to see it in theaters, especially seeing that uh, Ryder versus Saber Alter plus Shiro fight in theaters was fucking insane. Like 10 out of 10 fight animation there. Yeah, when they just were alting everywhere. Yeah, it was And great. it was incredible. And Unfortunately, you, and we only got to see about half the movie, so I do okay, have to wait, watch the no, other no, half. That, okay, that's not fucking true. But what did happen is that the movie theater did not tell us that they changed the time of the movie so we got there and then we missed like the first 20 to 25 minutes and just had to sort of piece it together but still we're seeing it and i think we're also going to go see the shirbaka movie in theaters i think next week so mm-hmm. lots of anime movies coming back into theaters which is nice yeah should be a lot of fun All right. Well, so in this episode, Yanni and I are going to give our first impressions on the summer 2021 anime season. So let's get into it. All right, Yanni, I see you have an apology lined up, so we're just going to make this into an apology uh, podcast so why don't you go ahead no no, it's not gonna be an apology podcast but i feel the need to make some amends here so in our spring 2021 episode you know how when we structure these seasonal episodes we try to watch as much as we can a few episodes into the season so we can give some informed opinions and naturally there are things that fall through the cracks that we just can't get to because we really don't have the time to watch as much as we would like and especially you know, winter 2021 and spring 2021 had so much good anime on that there was bound to be something we missed. And I even admitted in that episode that I had heard very good things about Odd Taxi and had not gotten around to watching it. And it was very high on my plan to watch list. And then Katrina came on the podcast after that episode and also said that Odd Taxi was an absolute must watch. And then everyone on Twitter lost their minds once Odd Taxi ended and people realized that the ending was good. So I'm here to say that I did almost finish Odd Taxi and it was the best show of the season last season and is 100% an anime of the year contender. It is such a fucking good show that I need to just apologize for not having watched it while it was airing. And I want to tell everybody That if you're looking for a really tightly written show to watch, just go watch it now. Drop everything you're watching and go watch it now. It's that good. I'm surprised by how much you enjoyed it. 
Well, I'm not surprised by how much you enjoyed it, but I'm surprised that you think that it was the best show of last season, given how much you were hyped for things like Vivi, for Wonder Egg. Yeah, I mean, there was really, really good stuff, both in the winter and the spring. But in a weird way, Odd Taxi ended up being everything I wanted Wonder Egg priority to be. You know, it was this anime original with a tight plot and clear themes that were executed really well. And Wonder Egg Priority looked like it was going to be that until it absolutely shat itself in sort of the (laughs) final legs of its story. And the whole production just completely fell apart in this really disappointing special episode. So I still love Wonder Egg Priority for what it did in maybe its first six to eight episodes. And I think it's still worth watching for those things. But the ending completely ruined it. And it's so rare that we get anime originals that just get a chance to be told in the way that whoever is writing them envisioned them to be told. And that's exactly what Odd Taxi did and was able to do with the satisfying conclusion. And just to sell people on Odd Taxi a little bit in this apology session of mine. So Odd Taxi basically runs like a Tarantino movie. And other people have said this before. And so I was already watching it thinking that this was going to be the case. But it does feel like that. Basically, there are a bunch of characters that have disparate stories and motivations that all come together around sort of a central murder mystery in the plot. And the dialogue is really witty. It's really engaging. It's funny. There's this disappearance of this high school girl in Tokyo. And this single taxi driver named Otokawa is picking up all of these different characters and gets himself involved in the disappearance of this girl and in all of the narratives of these very, very different characters. And so the way that story is told is pretty incredible. Whoever wrote this and directed it knows exactly what they're doing because every shot feels like it's there for a reason. It feels like it's purposeful and that you could really gain significance from it to piece together what's really going on in the story. I mean, a lot of people are probably familiar with Chekhov's gun, which is just this motif where if something is placed in a narrative or in a story, it's there for a reason. And later that gun is going to go off and you're going to be able to link it back to that previous events where you did see that actual item or whatever it may be. And this story is full of those little details, which I absolutely love. So yeah, I'm just really recommending people pick it up. I also should say that there are animal characters in the show, but they don't really have to be in in sort of a weird way. It's more like Bojack Horseman in that the characters are animals in terms of the stylization, but they're very human. They, They didn't have to be animals. Whereas Something like Beastars, which I also love, the characters being animals actually makes a difference for the plot and it's used for the themes of the show. It's not really used that much in Odd Taxi, but I'm I'm really excited to finish it. To give people perspective, it's the number 28 rated anime of all time on Mal, which obviously is due somewhat to a pretty low amount of people having watched it compared to some enormous franchises. But for a show with zero source material and initially a pretty niche following, I think that's pretty incredible and speaks to how much people that followed it were really satisfied with it. So that's my apology session. I'm really enjoying it. You should go watch it. Everybody listening should go watch it. It's going to be one of the best shows of the year. We always talk about how we want original stories and original anime and often we get burned. I mean, we'll talk about this a little bit later, I think, with one of the shows, but we often get burned by original anime that look promising initially, kind of like One Direct Priority did, and then completely fall apart because there's just so much less ability to generate revenue if there's no source material and initial hype for it. And so it's very rare to get something so unique and that's actually a complete story and that was just told really well in a single core. So 
yeah, it's it's really unique and one one of the best things I've seen in the past few years. I find it interesting how much we do dwell on original anime, especially yeah. for us, because neither of us read manga. So, so everything, everything that we watch well is original, original for yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think for the community, you want creators to be able to have a license to generate something new, even if there isn't a manga already for it, and not just to have an adaptation. And so I think it's good for the industry if we get more shows like this. And like something like One Drag Priority was great in concept. And if it had had more breathing room, maybe two cores, a better production schedule, it could have been a very, very good, satisfying show. I'm sorry. I'm really salty about it. It's, a, it's all right, Yanni. It, it could have been. What could have been? It all could right. have been. But I think there are a lot of shows like that. Even Vivi, which I enjoyed, I think bit off a little bit more than it could chew. And the ending was okay. And it was it was fine. I still enjoyed it for what it was. But it could have been much better with two cores. But again, there's no money in that. And so we need shows to really prove that this can be a successful strategy. And I don't know if we'll ever get there because of how big the manga industry is. But one can dream. One can dream. All right. I wanted to, before we dive into specific shows, we're going to do the same format. So we'll give our thoughts on the current season overall, and then we'll dive into specific shows, just like they're ordered on Mal in terms of popularity. So if you want to follow along, follow along that way, and that's how we'll do it. So the usual. I wanted to start by asking, what are your impressions on the current season overall? Things, honestly, that I had never heard of, even as manga, are airing this season. Manga readers are very excited to see some of these. But for me, it was very unexpected to find a few gems here. And I think it really cemented home some of my taste in anime. So that'll be interesting to explore what I kind of found out about myself watching this season. Some of your edgy taste in anime, which we found out in the last episode. we we don't talk about that. This isn't that episode anymore. (laughs) (laughs) um yeah i think for me it's definitely a down season compared to what winter and and spring were and i'm kind of grateful for that i was watching eight to nine to ten shows total between each of the past two seasons and i definitely needed a little bit of a break to catch up on a little bit of a backlog and just not be watching as much yeah play genshin have a little bit i tweeted about that from the account (laughs) that was funny um and just be able to, you know, catch up on on some of the other shows that I've been wanting to watch and have a little bit more downtime. So I definitely felt like it was needed. And I do feel like there are less shows that I'm really excited about watching. But some of the stuff that I have picked up, I've been really pleasantly surprised by. So I think I think there's some good stuff out there, but definitely a little bit of a down season. So. All right, let's let's fucking get into it. So I wanted to quickly mention the continuing series that we're not going to talk a ton about. So part two of slime season two is airing right now you watched a little bit of the beginning of slime season two right i think we talked yeah about i watched this. a little bit i wasn't that impressed with the show i like the overall themes i like the op protagonist i like the world building i like the civilization creation yeah. but some of the elements there seemed to be dragging the pacing was a little off for me the animation wasn't the highest quality Although, from what I've read about it, people seem to be loving Slime. It seems like it has the caliber to be a long-running isekai show. As a quick note, I think you saw the mural. Did you see the mural in New York City oh, that yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, they did. painted? It's yeah, pretty cool, I right? I did. That was pretty cool. It's just cool to see anime anywhere in, in New York, even if it's an anime that I personally haven't seen. But I was going to say that this is actually the number one anime that's airing right now in terms of popularity for this season, on Mal at least, so... People are clearly enjoying the series and maybe season two picked up a lot 
in the time since you watched the beginning of it. So Isekai watchers rise up. <laughs> yeah. We're beating My Hero Academia right now. Oh my God, don't even get me started, but actually get me started. So <laughs> uh, My Hero Academia Season 5 also continuing. If you want to listen to what I think about My Hero Academia currently and the current state of it, you can go back to our spring 2021 episode. I don't want to talk more about My Hero Academia, but... But there's movies though. <laughs> it's just dragging a lot. The pacing has felt completely off to me and the directing since basically, I mean, even in season four, it felt off. And in season five, it's been even worse. I know they swapped around some of the arcs to try to end with the hype stuff. So maybe towards the end of this season, we'll get something a little bit more exciting. But it's just not exciting right now. I did not like the beginning of season five at all. I thought the arc was pretty weak. And I know a lot of manga readers agree. And it seems like they're just focusing on the movies, which is a shame because I have not enjoyed the movies very much. And I think that's just where the money is. These movies are so bad. They're really bad. They're really bad. And it's just a shame because I thought the first three seasons of My Hero were pretty promising and pretty good. But I mean, they were solid. And the cast of characters is so diverse and so compelling that they really haven't spent enough time developing them, I think. Like they're interesting, but the elements and like the situations they're thrown into yeah. haven't offered enough time for us to see what they can do and build the relationships between them. They're getting almost a cardboard cutout level with things like Bakugo is still the same Bakugo. Yeah. Todoroki's had a little bit of development, but you know, we haven't really seen him transform. We're starting to focus on characters like the uh, sexual harassing great God, guy. Fuck. Uh, Mineta. <laughs> fuck Mineta. Oh, right, yeah. Obligatory Mineta. fuck Mineta. Yeah, I think it's just a bit of a shame. I think My Hero has always had this sort of struggle between balancing all the school, like smaller scale stuff with the larger narrative. And I get that that is a, a tricky balance to have, but it feels off to me, especially in, in this season. So I'm hoping it picks up. Tokyo Revengers, you really enjoyed. So that's still ongoing. And I think people are really liking it. Yep, I love Tokyo Revengers. I mean, at least the first few episodes that I saw... And from what I've been hearing about, it only gets better. So people are really excited to see where it goes. There is a live action that actually came out in Japan last month. So we, we can I'm skip interested that. to see where that goes. <laughs> we'll skip that one. We'll skip that one. So that's also, if you want to hear Ravi's thoughts on Tokyo Revengers in full, Spring 2021 pod. And then similarly for that pod, I talked about To Your Eternity, which is still ongoing. It's not my favorite, but I know a lot of people really like it. And I think it does have a lot of positives as sort of a interesting take on the shonen themes so i like it i think it's worth watching if you watch the first few episodes and you're into it it kind of stays in that vein but i don't think it's mind-blowing but i've enjoyed it so all right those are all the continuing series that we've already talked about so let's get into what's actually airing this season and we're gonna start with miss kobayashi's dragon maid season two and i'm actually excited that this is here for a lot of reasons, obviously because I like the show, but we just did the Kirani episode and we didn't get to talk about Dragon Maid much in, in the Kirani episode just because it wasn't in either of our top fives. And there, you know, we noted many times that there are so many amazing Kirani shows that it's really hard to fit anything into a top five. So I'm glad it's here so that we get to talk about it a little bit. So it's amazing to have Kirani back making seasonal anime. I think I mentioned this in that episode as well, but they were really sorely missed, especially after the tragedy that occurred there. And the animation quality and attention to detail is still fucking insane. And it shows that Kirani is really able to maintain that high standard because of, again, the work culture that they have. And we've talked about this a lot already, but it's just really nice to see it in a seasonal format again. So getting into Dragon Maid. So Dragon Maid is about 
exactly what it sounds like it would be about. So there is a programmer named Kobayashi. She's working at a company in Tokyo. She meets a dragon named Toru, who basically instantly falls in love with her and offers to be her maid. And a subsequent amount of dragons basically follow from Toru's dragon world and get reverse isekai into Japan and also end up living either with Kobayashi and Toru or finding their own way in life in Japan. Are you saying you're an isekai convert? This, is that what I'm hearing I, right I now? guess this is a reverse isekai. So there are some isekai I enjoy. And if you want to qualify this as what, I guess you I'll take can. care. That's good enough. Yeah. yeah. So Toru ends up living with Kobayashi and this small child dragon named Kana, who is one of the other dragons that gets reverse isekai. I think there's a lot to love here. So I'll start with the positives about the show. So, and I think you can talk about season one and season two very similarly. I think they both have been very good and have had the same sort of positives and negatives. So I'll talk about them sort of in the same breath. But I think at its core, Dragon Maid is a really heartwarming slice of life about a lesbian couple and their daughter who are not related by blood. But this is another thing Another theme that the show explores is about how people from disparate backgrounds, from different walks of life, can find family in each other. And so this is really a story about family. Kobayashi really does an excellent job of teaching the different dragons how to find their place in the world and coexist with other humans, which leads to some really wholesome moments. Like there's one dragon, Fafnir, who basically just becomes like an otaku. Another one of the dragons ends up working at the same company that... Kobayashi works at and they all sort of find their way in life. Most of the dragons are basically amenable to coexisting with humans, but in this season they introduce another dragon, Ilulu, who is initially very antagonistic to the idea of coexisting with humans and so it takes a little bit more time for her to accept that that can be a way of life. What else is good here? The the Sakuga in some of the scenes is crazy as you would expect from Kirani. They've sort of made this a staple over the years, but there's one scene I remember in, in season one where Kana and Toru are like basically play wrestling, but they have this like insane action set piece battle because they're dragons. And that's like the only way they know how to play. There's a fight in, I think, the first episode of season two with Ilulu, the new dragon that I mentioned, that is just insane. Like the action here really just beats out what you'd see in most battle shonen, which I think says a lot about Kirani. And then the last thing that I think is really, really good is the opening. I would just highly recommend you check it out, even if you're not going to watch the show. But they made a small nod to the Nichijou openings with like the scrolling intro of characters that they do that I just really, really liked. And the song is really good. So Kobayashi is great in all of those ways. Oh, also, Kana is like insanely cute. Like if you just want to inhale something insanely wholesome then just go to youtube and type in like kana cute moments or something and just like watch that because she's absolutely adorable i want to ask a question here because you did mention this and this is something we've actually talked about a little bit on previous podcasts with people like billy for example how do you think the lgbtqia plus elements are explored here because we know that those elements are predominant in anime, but in their own niche genres. There are yaoi and yuri, but 
elements from the LGBTQ community don't often work their way into more mainstream shows. And Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid is, I think, mainstream, is really well-liked. Yeah. How do you think they play with the other elements of the show? How do you think that exploration is done? What could be done better? That's an interesting question. I think there are many shows that make that something like Bloom Into You, which we talked about with when Billy was on the podcast, makes an LGBTQ relationship the centerpiece of the show. And that's great. That's like a really, I think, I, I, first of all, I want to, I guess the disclaimer here is that I am probably not the best person to talk about this, but I'm just going to talk about it from, from my own perspective. And I think something like Bloom Into You, which just develops a really beautiful romance between two young women is great. And that's wonderful. There, there are many shows that do that. I think what's equally valuable is something like what Dragon Maid is doing, where it's not the centerpiece of the show. And in fact, many people could watch the show. And if you're not cognizant of the fact that there are two females who are basically parenting Kana together, that wouldn't really be something that you'd necessarily take away from the show. But I think just the fact that it is normalized in some way in anime, which we don't often see, that the show can be about all these things, but there is this lesbian relationship at its core is just nice to see like you don't always need a full-on exploration into what that means and how those characters feel and what that relationship would look like but the relationship can just exist and be natural in that world and then all the characters can just you know sort of assume that that is the norm and i think that's also equally valuable to just show those kind of relationships without really making them the centerpiece of the show if that makes sense yeah, it does. This show is a really nice exploration. Bloom into You is fantastic. I think it's just rare in anime. Again, it's not rare in anime that we see relationships that are gay or lesbian, but oftentimes we don't see those explored properly. The yeah. Yaoi and Yuri Industries, I think, don't do a full job of actually exploring that. Most times, a lot of that content just ends up being either just romantic or ends up being sexually explicit in nature. Yeah, very fan service yeah. Yeah. I think it is nice to see it in that way in the show. And I mean, when we talked to Billy about it, he loves Dragon Maid. And this is one of like the sort of core reasons why. So there's a lot of things I love about the show. And I think I need to talk about the things that I don't like about it. And those mostly center around the sexual content in the show, which for me is detracting. But I don't want to say that that means it should be detracting for everyone. And this is, for me, why it didn't make my top five when we did the Kirani episode, but I think this is overall a preference thing, and I should say that there are much broader issues, I think, in anime as an industry and as a medium as a whole to focus on, but I think I should mention them briefly here since since we're talking about the show already. So there are things that are still lingering from season one. So Lukoa is another one of the dragons, and the new dragon, Ilulu, as well, have insanely large boobs. Like, not just large boobs, but like to the point of making their character designs look like an over-exaggerated caricature. Like, I don't really know how else to describe it, that it's just like, to me, way, way over-sexualized. And Lukoa in particular has a relationship with this young human boy named Shota, and he's like this young magician who's learning magic. And the gag there often is that he sort of can't handle her sexuality or there's something like overt there that ends up being played for laughs. And that's just a bit much for me. And it's also not the type of comedy that I really find enjoyable. Along those same lines, this is also from season one that has been carried into this season. There's the relationship between Kana, who ends up going to elementary school, and a friend she makes there, Saikawa. 
where the friend is basically constantly screaming about how cute Kana is, which she is cute, but it borders on like being very annoying. And there are some scenes where it's like, again, play for sexual laughs, which I don't really love just because they're like kids, like very, very young kids. And then finally, there's the most sort of egregious one, at least for me, is that there's a scene in this season where, like I said, Ilulu is like very antagonistic to the idea of coexisting with humans. So she doesn't trust Kobayashi at all and is very anti-human. So she uses magic to basically give her a dick to like fuck with her. And those jokes to me feel like borderline anti-trans and in bad taste. Again, I would definitely say that for any kind of critical understanding of that, you'd have to ask someone in the trans community, which which I'm not. But Konosuba's movie, for example, had a very similar dick joke in it. And I did hear people and read about people that talked about that sort of also being in bad taste. So I don't know if it's something about those types of jokes just like being normalized in Japanese media or really like what the deal is there. But to me, it felt very like out of place and like I don't really need this here and I don't find it funny. So again, basically to just say those are some things that detract from the show, but I still think it's a wonderful show that you can watch and people will really enjoy if they can get over those things. But I feel the need to mention them because they do bother me. And if they don't bother you, that's that's great and you enjoy it. And again, there are much broader issues in the anime industry than just what's in here, but has to be mentioned. Yeah, I think it's always jarring to watch a show that we think is so forward thinking and then see some of those elements again make their way into uh, into the medium. It's not great. The reason I say jarring is because there are shows that are just overtly about sexuality, right? There mm-hmm. are a lot of etchy shows, the yeah, entire genre of shows oh, yeah? where if if that's what you want, you, you can go. You in that genre. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying anything in this episode about this. <laughs> However, if you're going to watch a show for its family-oriented nature, for exploring the relationships like we do in Kobayashi, and then you see these elements of fan service and sexuality kind of sneak their way in, that's what I really do not like. I think for me, it's compartmentalized. There are yeah. things that I look for in some shows and things that I don't want in others. I think it's also additionally jarring because we think of Kirani as such a progressive studio compared to all these other studios in terms of hiring a disproportionate amount of women, which is which is very good, paying their workers and all these sort of very progressive ideas we associate Kiani with. And then we get all this like fan service and you're like, wait, <laughs> wait a minute. But again, I also want to plug, we recently read an article from a few years ago on Anime Feminist about how fan service doesn't necessarily have to be anti-feminist, which I think is a really, really good read. And so maybe I'll link that on our Twitter at some point or something like that. But if you just Google anime feminist fan service, you will probably be able to find it. And that's a, a very good read. I don't think fan service is inherently anime or Japanese in nature. No, this it's is not. the thing it's that not. annoys me is that people, <laughs> sorry, I'm going to go on a rant for two <laughs> seconds here, but this is the thing that annoys me. When people look at anime and they're like, oh man, yeah, you're seeing all these like panty shots and boob shots and things like that. And you're like, have you ever watched a movie in the American industry either? You cannot have an R-rated movie, which is like 90% of movies nowadays without a sex scene in it. And those elements are there because those elements are inherently human in nature. There are things about those that appeal to us, right? Like the sex scenes that just thrown in the movie because everyone's like, oh man, we got to have a sex scene in the movie. It's because again, it shows development of a relationship. It shows something progressing. It shows the characters are bonding in some way. 
And those elements are also there in Japanese media and in anime. It's just that anime gets a bad rep because of them. However, you don't need to put something like a four-year-old's panties in there. That, I think, is egregiously incorrect. And that should not be in there. But having sexual elements in a show, I think, elevates the show sometimes. Yeah. And that's why I like Monogatari. <laughs> I just said no four-year-old panty shots, bro. I literally just said that. Anyways, uh, thank you for the rant, Ravi, but would recommend people to, to read that article. I think it's very good. Then maybe combat some of these innate biases that Ravi's talking that we sometimes carry into anime and that I think are, are worth sort of grappling with. So it's a good article. All right, enough about Kobayashi. And on to straight fan service. <laughs> and on to straight fan service. So I'm going to talk about Girlfriend, Girlfriend, which I watched last night a few episodes of. And... Oh, man. Okay, so I feel like... Bored, Sorry, bored. I'm going to break in here and say that every single season now, I tell Yanni to watch something that I think is going to be great. And Yanni always fucking subverts me by saying, nah, man, I'm going to watch this trash and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> that's what you I was... shot yourself in the foot here. Okay, so that's what I was going to say is that more and more, I feel like I'm getting one show per season that I get to watch that is absolute trash. And this is definitely it for this season. What I do appreciate is that it completes my girlfriend trash trifecta of the past few years with along with domestic girlfriend and rent a girlfriend. So it somehow feels fitting that I'm watching this. But let me try to describe to you what this fucking show is about. So first of all, I'm going to preface everything by saying every character in the show has a grand total of zero fucking brain cells. Like there is no logical thought at all. But I do sort of appreciate how generally self-aware the show is that it's absolutely terrible. Like it doesn't even attempt to take itself seriously in any way, which I sometimes think is good for trash anime. Like Domestic Girlfriend and Rent-A-Girlfriend sometimes try to be serious and you're like, you're garbage. Why are you trying to be serious? Girlfriend, Girlfriend is just trash the entire time and knows that it is. So what's the premise of the show? This show is basically what happens when you take the trope of characters not saying what they think or feel and basically just inverting it. So you make the protagonist and everyone else be brutally honest with anything that they want in terms of relationships and in terms of sex and in terms of literally anything else. So I'm going to illustrate this by describing to you the events that happened in the first episode that set up the love triangle between Naoya, who's the protagonist, the guy, Saki and Nagisa. And yes, I did say Nagisa. Oh, damn, Nagisa's back? <laughs> Yeah. She's alive? She's alive, baby. <laughs> Fuck, spoilers. <laughs> Damn. Uh, okay, so the episode starts out with Naoya being insanely happy because after him and Saki are childhood friends and he's been asking her out literally every single day for like their entire childhood and school life together... They finally become first years in high school and she finally says yes. Already, that's questionable. But he's thrilled. She seems to be like kind of cool and into him in some ways. And he's insanely happy. All right. He goes up to the roof because Saki has club time. And he's hanging out on the roof thinking about, wow, my life has taken a positive romantic turn. I am no longer going to be a virgin. Things are great. And then this rando that he doesn't know, who is Nagisa, comes up behind him and asks him out. 
And his first thought when he turns around is, fuck, this girl is really cute. <laughs> and at first he says, sorry, I have a girlfriend. And she's like, oh, I should have expected that. She also brought him a fuck ton of food. So he was like eating this really delicious food she prepared. And then she's like, okay, I guess. Does that actually happen? Like, have you ever had a girl <laughs> coming up to you in fucking elementary no. school and being like, I made no. you a Lunchables today? No, no like, I have not had that. I got you the one with pizza, like make your own pizza. Like that shit just doesn't happen. No, it doesn't. But anime logic, what do you guys say? So then she basically says, oh, I should have figured you had a girlfriend. It's okay. I'm not going to give up and I will try to ask you out again later. But I guess this is it for now. She turns around and then this motherfucker is like, wait, would you be okay with dating me while I date my other current girlfriend we should go ask her now if you're okay with it she says sure i don't really know why basically she wants to date him so badly that dating him in a love triangle is better than not dating him at all i don't know bro maybe she wants a threesome yeah that's, well that's totally no fine. we'll get there we'll fucking get there <laughs> <laughs> hold on stop spoiling the first episode oh my god and so they literally run up to his girlfriend as she's like at the shoe lockers and they literally go, hey, got to talk to you about something. And it's about this girl. And so the other girl pops out and Nagisa pops out. And then Saki's like, oh, my God, this girl's so cute. We should go hang out. And so they have this little montage where they like go do a bunch of stuff and hang out together. And then he finally gets the balls to just ask her about if she would be OK with having this three-way relationship damn he goes from fucking incel to threesome like zero seconds flat although to be fair to be fair to him at least he's being honest with what he wants he's like i can't say no to this really cute girl that wants to date me let me just ask actually you can okay with this. actually you literally can <laughs> yeah maybe maybe you, you want to get choose. your partner's input before you say yes <laughs> so he asks his partner well while the other girl is there at the end of this like day long triple date and she obviously says, fuck no. Actually, what I really appreciated is that she punches the shit out of him, <laughs> which was fucking hilarious and well-deserved. But she obviously says, no, like, are you a fucking idiot? Am I not enough for you? And then she's like, how are you okay with this to the other girl? And Nagisa basically says, I would rather have a chance to date him because I've you know, been in love with him for X amount of months already. And somehow convinces her that she should do it. I didn't really get why. <laughs> didn't really understand why. But I thought that was going to be like kind of where the episode ended. But no. Then I realized there were like 10 minutes left in the episode. And I was like, something spicy has to happen. You know what this motherfucker MC Kuhn says? He said, in order to get this to work and be successful, we should all get to know each other better together. I live alone. Why don't you two come live with me? What? <laughs> So, so this dude is literally just living with his two girlfriends. We went straight the polygamy route so fast. What? Yeah. They're in high school and they're just living together. And then the end of the... You can't say... Robbie's face falling so fucking hard right now. But then... The end of the fucking episode. So fucking aggravating. This anime logic bullshit. Just wait, just wait. The end of the episode, 
is basically Saki being like, oh, we actually haven't done anything sexual. And then confronting the guy and being like, okay, how far are you planning to go with Nagisa? Because we haven't really done anything yet. And then he goes, I probably shouldn't say this, but I want to be honest and true to my feelings. I'd like to have a threesome. <laughs> this guy is fucking brutally honest to another level. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. And then, obviously, Saki is like, no, I don't think I'm ready for that. And then he's like, okay, well, to be fair, then I will not have any sexual relations with either of you. And we will just date and get to know each other. Because <laughs> it wouldn't be fair if I just fucked one of you and not the other. <laughs> And that's where episode one ends. This is truly like fucking anime <laughs> sister wives on steroids. This literally is insane. Episode two is equally as insane, but I already knew what I was Why did for. you watch two episodes of this? <laughs> I watched multiple episodes. But Why? I didn't, I didn't watch the latest episode yet, which the title said something about there being a third girl. And I was like, fuck, are we just like going all the way to polygamy? Like what's happening here? I mean, we're already there. I know, but we're just gonna add to the living harem. Like, I'm so how many? <laughs> oh my god. Anyways, um, that's all I want to say about girlfriend, girlfriend. It's fucking trash. If that sounds like your kind of comedy trash bullshit, that you could watch it. It's not good. But I mean, again, open relationships aren't by nature bad. Like, no, no, is no, not no, by no, nature no. bad. Of course Just not. The, the but... exploration of this in the show seems like absolute garbage. Well, I kind of also appreciate that the characters are being honest with their feelings, that that part is great. But the, the rest of it, I'm like, yeah, this is like kind of emotionally, like emotional extortion and like manipulation to get this to fucking work. But the characters are stupid as fuck. Like they're all so dumb, like no brain cells <laughs> shared between any of this trio. <laughs> you want to live together? Yes. Yeah, yes. yes. <laughs> I started dating like you today. Yeah, Makes sense. Seriously. Oh, and I've left out one detail, which is, <laughs> I think this is for episode two, but they ask Nagisa what class she's in because they haven't seen her before, what year she's in. And she, she's like, I'm a first year. And like, oh. I'm like in third grade. Bro. No, no, fucking wait, 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 wait. <laughs> it's crazier than that. Well, maybe not. <laughs> what? But... <laughs> that <laughs> they ask her what what grade she's in and she's like i'm a first year in, in high school and they're like oh us too what class are you in and she's like i'm in class b and they're like we're in class b how have we never seen you and this girl literally says oh yeah i haven't gone to school for the whole year yet because i've been training by cooking and like doing fitness and other things to increase the likelihood that when i ask noia out he'll say yes <laughs> Dude, this is 100% going to be a yandere. I'm calling it right now. This is going to be some school days level shit. Someone's going to die. And it's 100% going to so. be fucking now you. I fucking hope so. Anyways, that's all. That's all about the show. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. It's worse than Nakatora. I mean, that bar is low, so. Yeah, true. All right. Let's move on. Talk about another show, please. Damn, you are really setting a high bar for me right now. How am I going to beat that in terms of humor? You're not. All right. So because of the kind of ridiculous way that you organize these show notes, your I rant is now by, over. I organize and them mine by begins. the I, I organize them by the mal ratings, you dumb piece of shit. So, well, because of the way that that's scored, you had the first two. Now I have the next like five shows. Yeah. Okay. Go on. So get, get ready for this. I'm, right. I'm strapping in. Strapping on. So, 
<laughs> Sorry, I took a second to I really sink in what the fuck you were saying. <laughs> All right. So Vanitas is a Japanese manga series that's been serializing in Square Enix's monthly Gangan Joker since 2015. And from watching the anime adaptation, I think the premise can be pretty neatly summed up as borderline yaoi steampunk vampires. And okay. that's basically it. So Vanitas starts off with this narrated intro that's reminiscent of a fairy tale from the Brothers Grimm. We're told that there once lived this vampire known as Vanitas, who was born on the night of the cursed blue moon. And therefore, he was ostracized by all the other vampires. As a result, he created this grimoire or this book of magic called the Book of Vanitas. And that would allow him to take vengeance on the society of vampires that he had been shunned from. So that's like the first 10 seconds of this show, right? So it is just straight exposition. I got to pause you for a sec. Are you sure that's how it's pronounced? It's not Vanitas? It's not Vanitas like fajitas, bro. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to shoot me. The manga readers, if you're ever listening to this, which I don't know why you would because we don't talk about any manga. But if if you're listening to this, you're going to kill me. So cut to the present day where we find and follow Noe. And I have to say right here, all these characters are fucking hot. So <laughs> Damn, we have this Google young this really man. <laughs> so, so we have this young man who's traveling on this airship bound for 19th century Paris. And the goal in his voyage is to find the book of Venetus. And he realizes that goal almost immediately when Venetus breaks into the airship. You're not even I'm really go- I'm Googling the characters. <laughs> All right, I'll wait for I'll wait for you to finish. I, I just want the experience. Oh, I want the experience of just like the, oh no, he's hot meme. <laughs> like to happen to me right now. I, yeah, pretty good looking. Pretty good looking. Uh, it's pretty, it's pretty hot. Yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. All right. So <laughs> where, where, where was it? I don't fucking know. <laughs> so where Vanitas breaks into the airship and he pulls out the book of Vanitas to heal a vampire that was running wild among the passengers. And no way, and us, we find out that Vanitas is not, god fucking damn it. (laughs) That one was unintentional. (laughs) We find out that Vanitas is actually not the vampire of (laughs) This is all staying in. It's not actually the vampire of legend. Just call him Fajitas, bro. (laughs) All right. He's not actually the vampire of legend, but instead he's a human doctor whose goal is to save vampires from extinction. So what he does is he recruits Noe to work with him towards this goal, and that's basically where the first episode ends. So if you're anything like me, this means at this point that you have no idea where the show is going to go. The, the first episode is basically just all set up for what the actual plot is going to be. But overall... Vanitas has this interesting, potentially dark fantasy premise in a steampunk setting, and the animation is very, very good. So it's being produced by Studio Bones. I was going to ask about this because we know Bones with My Hero and Mob Psycho and a bunch of other stuff has done really good work. And so I was curious if the animation looked really good. Yeah, the animation is fantastic. Bones is definitely a powerhouse in the industry. And you can see that when you look at the backgrounds, when you look at the fluidity of the motion. In the first episode, there is a fight scene between Vanitas and Noe. And that fight scene, even though it only lasts for a few seconds, the animation is so fluid. It's done so well. The lighting for the show is also fantastic. Like that scene, I remember when they're on this airship. 
and they're flying through the night. The glow off of the bulbs, you see the city of Paris beneath. It's just fantastically done. And honestly, I don't know what else to say about this show because there's a lot of story left to tell and plot and characters to develop. We get hints that the relationship between Noe and Vanitas will be comedic, but we also see some sinister, potentially adversarial undertones to this relationship. The manga readers seem to really love this work. I'll keep watching it for sure. For the animation, if nothing more, but I truly do hope that it gives us a compelling plot and characters because it seems like it has the potential there. Nice. Sounds pretty engaging. Obviously, with any studio, I think we should mention that we talk about studios generally, and sometimes it's good to note that not everything is going to be of the same consistent quality from a specific studio. You know, there are individuals working on anime obviously matter a lot. And so if we're getting Bones as a team or an experienced staff at Bones, we're going to get something good. But that doesn't always mean that everything from there is going to be good. But if we're getting a good team and it seems like the production is good and, and the animation is good, then yeah, this might be one to check out for sure. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think they have their hands full even doing My Hero Academia. And uh, the movie. The movies for that. Yeah. yeah. So it definitely must be a different team. But regardless of which it is, it looks fantastic. So let's move on to Remake Our Life. And I remember texting you while I was watching this show because yeah. this show has me confused. It has me so <laughs> ambivalent because it starts with such an interesting and I think a relatively realistic portrayal of the anime industry and its challenges and its pitfalls. But then it transitions to a high school setting, which is potentially problematic. Yeah. Okay. As it usually is. Walk us through this. Yeah. So let me actually describe what the show is about. We meet 28 year old. You hear me correctly there. 28 year old. Wow. This is unheard of unheard in anime. Unheard of. An adult in an anime. An adult. Unbelievable, right? Yeah. Not some 600-year-old, lolly four-year-old. Crazy. 28-year-old. Amazing. Right? So his name is Kyoya Hashiba, who has just lost his job in the video game industry. And he had actually given up his previous, more traditional office job to pursue this video game industry job. And so now he's unemployed. He's forced to live with his parents again. And Kyoya is forcibly reminded of the past when he finds his old acceptance letter to art school, which he had declined in favor of business school because he had been afraid to stake his future on his hobby and his passion. So as you can imagine, he regrets this choice, but he also has to come to terms with the fact that you can't redo the past. And that's until he wakes up and finds himself 10 years in the past at that juncture where he had to choose between art school and business school. And of course, as any person would probably do in this situation, he chooses the other path he chooses to go to art school. So Remake Our Life starts off with what I'd hoped to be a critical look at the anime industry, especially given the circumstances we're in right now with industry whistleblowers, for example, being slapped with penalties by studios. But instead, it moves pretty quickly beyond that premise to turn into this high school narrative. And before you think that I'm writing this off just because of this transition, let me say that I still think that Remake Our Life has a lot of interesting elements. As someone who's interested in cinema and in visual storytelling, this show really takes us through what it would be like to go to school for the visual arts, and I find that entertaining in its own right. I'm kind of surprised that this is not an isekai, just based off the title, I have to say. Is getting transported to the past an isekai? No, definitely not. But <laughs> definitely not. Is Steins Gate an isekai? No, it's not. What the fuck? It is. <laughs> Everything's an isekai. No. <laughs> Um, I did want to actually expand. I mean, we can talk more about the show in a second. I did want to expand quickly. You, you mentioned the situation we're in with studios basically 
slapping fines on or suing animators that are speaking out against working conditions. This happened over the past few weeks. I don't remember exactly when, but I should have mentioned this at the top of the show because we didn't talk about it in the past show. But an animator at Science Saru did an interview where he or she talked about how bad the conditions were for them. And Science Saru, for people that don't know, is the studio that was established by Masaki Yuasa and obviously other people, but now it's where he does all of his anime work. And their response to this animator talking about the terrible working conditions was to sue him. And it just, again, that's terrible. It also was terrible timing because like the same day that it was announced or it got leaked that they were going to sue, the trailer for Masaki Yuasa's newest movie came out. And it's like, this looks great, but like, where is the person who's saying we should read the room and not release this on the same day that we're getting all of this bad negative attention for something obviously shitty that we did? It's just like no awareness there, I think, at all. But it just goes to show how bad I think the responses have been from studios when animators are now, it seems like a little bit more frequently coming out and talking about the terrible conditions that their responses are either to do what Science Saru did and, and sue the animators or to do what one of the heads at MAPPA did, which was basically just write this half-ass sort of apology kind of letter where they mostly talk about the new studio that they're getting for all these animators to work in. So anyways, yeah, I also would love to see some critical examination of that in anime, but that seems like, I I don't know what studios could have picked that up, you know? Yeah, it's not great. I mean, the industry itself revolves around secrecy in some ways yeah there are ndas that have to be signed when it comes to being a voice actor for example and not disclosing the stuff that you're working on but those things should not extend to you being able to speak up about your workplace conditions definitely not and that's that's something that i think we definitely have an issue with in the u.s like it's very hard to speak up against some companies because of defamation laws but often times a lot of those people are protected by whistleblower policies and those same whistleblower policies aren't as well developed in japan and i think the way to fix that is for pressure to start being applied outside the anime industry by people who are enjoying anime like us i mean we have the onus and we have the power to change the way that the industry is treating its members. And I think we need to start doing that. The public needs to start speaking up about this. Lawmakers need to start getting aware of the issues and changing these policies so that people can speak up about them and have a better workplace environment. It's truly frustrating. It's truly saddening to see the industry and the medium that we really like going through this. And it's really hard for me to separate watching a show from knowing the people that are working on it. I do joke and we do joke about hating some of these shows. And we know there's a lot of work that goes into those shows. Like, for example, we watch videos about behind the scenes that like JC staff Garnt did recently on his channel. One of Giga's latest videos. Yeah, one of Giga's videos. People are working really hard. Like real people are working hard on on these shows and getting paid peanuts, right? Yeah. And when we see things coming out and we're like, oh, man, this is shit. It's not because those people aren't working hard. It's, It's just because like. These people are overworked. There's too much to do. It's, it's hard to meet these deadlines. It's really sad. And it's really, it hurts to try and watch these shows and have to separate between the things that we like and the things that we don't like. I don't want to separate between those. Yeah. I mean, the, to your point about shows, maybe anime tackling some of these issues in the anime industry and that me thinking that's unlikely. I mean, Shirobako is all about 
producing anime and, and making anime. And I think it gives a really cool look at the anime industry in that way because you're you're watching an anime about making anime and that's very cool. But obviously Shirobako, as as much as we love it, is a very rose-colored view on what anime production looks like. And they're not gonna tackle, you know, all the really deep-rooted systemic issues that are going on in the anime industry. And you're right that it has to come from outside pressure or else, you know, if there's no monetary financial incentives for these studios to, to change or for laws to change so that animators and other workers can unionize like we've talked about before on the show then it, it's not going to happen and so yeah i don't it's hard i don't know what like what we could personally do about it other than just keep talking about it on the podcast and try to consume the media as ethically as we can and try to talk to people about it as much as we can um it's tough it's really tough yeah, I mean, bringing it back, you talked about Shirobako. And this is why, again, I started off by saying I'm so ambivalent about Remake Our Life. It's because the first episode is actually a 50-minute episode, so it's like a, a special. And in the first, like, 10, 15 minutes of it, it is what I think, again, is a realistic view of what it takes to be in the anime industry. You will fail. There are very few people that make it into that industry, especially to the higher echelons, and gain the fame that people like Masaki Iwasa get. And our protagonist is that person that fails, and, and he struggles, and he even though he puts his all into doing it, there are things outside his control, like budgets, like deadlines, like you know the, the producers of the show saying this is canceled. And so I really wish it had focused more on those elements instead of then going back and just being like, oh, now I have this entire new chance at a life and just forget all of those things that I had struggled for before. We'll see how this show turns out. Coming back from this tangent, I think I really like the character designs here. If you look at the character designs, the characters' eyes have this really cool gradient to them. I know that's like a very particular thing, but it was just something that I found engaging about the show. I really like that. It's a funny story. Uh, I, I see. I can't even make this joke now because we got too serious. <laughs> so it was it was funny because I was looking up Studio Feel, which is the one that made Remake Our Life. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you know, what other, what other work have they done? And I will say the show is in good company alongside other great works like Kiss X Sis, <laughs> like uh, Yasuga no Sora. They also, you know, small show Origairu. Yeah. Uh, I haven't really heard of that one. I mean, so. to be fair, actually, Brains based at the first season of Origairu and they took over the second and third seasons. And people often say they prefer the Brains based interpretation. So if you want to add that to like the list of the <laughs> negatives here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. All right. Well, I'll keep up with the show. I'm interested to see where it goes, how the characters develop and the relationships develop. And I'm really interested to see what the show can teach me about filmmaking. I mean, I think that's the primary reason I'll keep watching it. Time for some isekai, baby. Oh, right? God. I'm right, right? This time, this time it actually is isekai? Yeah. Okay, great. I'm not even going <laughs> to grace this bullshit with a full description. <laughs> this show is actually fucking truly the garbage isekai that even I could not get invested in. Because it is this kludgy mishmash of terrible dialogue, overused tropes, and elements that are just straight ripped off from better shows. So as a very brief description, I think it's very clear I did not like this show, <laughs> our astoundingly normal but also somehow incredibly intelligent 18-year-old protagonist, Kazuya Soma, is summoned to this fantasy world that's under attack by the demon army. How original. 
Yeah, uh, he has to use his intricate knowledge of economics, agriculture, science, engineering, and diplomacy to reestablish <laughs> the kingdom he's been summoned Damn. to. I wish and I save had intricate knowledge about every <laughs> fucking field ever. Oh Jesus yeah. yeah, sorry, you can't restart this entire economy and realize that cotton's cash crop doesn't work because the entire nation <laughs> is starving. Oh, sorry. Didn't know if you know that or not. <laughs> so his goal is to reestablish the kingdom he's been summoned to and save them from doom at the hands of both the demon army and the neighboring kingdoms. And uh, did I mention that he has a harem? Because of course he does. Of course does. he does, yep. <laughs> so I do see you questioning me a little bit um, about why I really dislike this show because I know you think that it has every element that I like. Yeah, I don't see And you're right that it does have a lot of elements that I like. <laughs> But they're just executed so poorly in this show. <laughs> Literally, the show opens with the most cringy fucking bullshit when Kazuya's grandfather, who's about to die in like two minutes, and he tells you he's about to die in two minutes, is explaining to him that family is the most important thing. And this is straight up the fucking Vin Diesel meme of family is everything. That is literally just the first minute of this entire show. So, mind-boggling. So, honestly, if you want an isekai with better world building, go check out Log Horizon, go check out Overlord, or even that time I got reincarnated as a slime, which is still airing this season. If you want a show with a better exploration of economics and trade, go watch Spice and Wolf, which is a million times better. And if you're really in the mood for a show where this protagonist is summoned to a fantasy world and then put in these dire circumstances, and I cannot believe I'm recommending this, go watch The Rising of the Shield Hero. At least that show has a fucking harem with a hot raccoon girl and a lolly ostrich. <laughs> like, if nothing else, it has that. Right. Damn. Well, I'm glad that this podcast at least included a segment of you giving your top alternative isekai picks as the isekai connoisseur of this podcast. Truly <laughs> unbelievable what this show just tries to mishmash together. It just it does not. It does not actually do well on any of them. So this is not one of those shows that you're like, this is trash, but also when's the next episode? I mean, maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no I, I don't think I'll be giving up. <laughs> oh, man. All right, back to you. It's really not oh, back to actually, me. Oh, <laughs> actually, sorry, I still have two more to go. <laughs> uh, all right. Marathon over here. Yeah, all right. So this is one that I'm actually pretty excited to talk about. So My Next Life is a Villainous, the second season is now airing. And I'm going to talk about the first season a little bit because we haven't talked about actually, it. And then before you do that, move on to the second one. Before you do that, this is made by Silverlink. Do you know what other piece of incredible anime... Silver Link has also adapted. Is it Redo of a Healer? No. Fuck. <laughs> it's uh, none other than Prisma Ilya, your favorite anime. <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> I love Prisma How can Ilya. we not get through one episode without a fucking Monogatari or Madoka Magical reference? This is Just not a Madoka, one. it's not a Madoka Magical reference. It's a Prisma or a Ilya. It's a Prisma Sorry, Ilya anything reference. with lollies. Anything with lollies. <laughs> How dare you? How fucking dare you? Do you want to talk about the ending to fucking Fate Heavensfield when the fucking <laughs> lolly walks into the sunset? What was that, bro? I don't know. You got to bring the the real Fate fans around to explain that. I mean, I actually think I can explain it, but we're not going to get into it in this podcast. Let's save it for the Fate podcast. Save it for the Fate all right, podcast. All right, all right, all right. So let me start off by saying I have seen very few reverse harems before. And I think 
at least from my perspective, maybe this is biased just because of how little I've previously seen it. I think they rarely make their way into the mainstream as much as harems with a male protagonist. I don't know if you agree with that. I think that's probably fair. I mean, it's it's hard to know. I mean, part of that is probably appeal. Part of that is probably like the anime fandom is a little bit more male heavy. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't really know, but yeah, it, do, it does kind of feel like that. But I don't know what the underlying cause is. Yeah, we did make mention of this when we talked about Pretty Boy Detective Club, and I'm making mention of it again with My Next Life as a Villainess. It was new for me to see a dense female MC, and although the dense MC stereotype is something I am truly tired of (laughs) it was much easier for me to watch that role occupied by a female character as opposed to a male and it was great to watch and spend time with a female lead to see relationships develop from her perspective and in a refreshing way the writing actually gives the harem members a reason to like the lead character as opposed to just throwing at the mc because they fucking give off a whiff of kirito out here (laughs) so i wanted to mention this the show also had very little fan service. It didn't fall into the same character tropes that often male-led shows will do and focused Wait, more on the relationship. What? I just had a million dollar idea. Can we please create a <laughs> a like perfume brand called Whiff of Kirito? Put it on the merch store, baby. Yeah. Baka Banter Bird Store, Whip of Kirito coming soon, baby. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. So, as I was saying, <laughs> I would buy that. All right. So, the show had very little fan service. And I remember texting this to you, and you just said it was alternative fan service, which fuck you. <laughs> it's very little fan service. It didn't fall into the same character tropes that most male-led shows do, and it focused more on the relationships and romantic development of the lead character with her harem than with their sexual development. So honestly, I don't know if you've seen The World God Only Knows, but it really reminded me of that show. Fantastic show. I think if you're interested in harems and if you're interested in relationship development in the sense that building a positive relationship is the goal rather than building a sexual relationship so i don't know if this is typical of reverse harems because again i just haven't really seen a lot of them but it really made me want to explore similar shows i really liked following that female lead developing these romantic relationships with the other male characters and also the other female characters it was great so the roots the show takes were also really fun to watch albeit a bit repetitive but I enjoyed it throughout because the characters are likable. The voice acting is really good. I, I didn't expect the voice acting to be that good. It really just blew me away. I mean, the, the voice actor for the, the main character, just their range, just the way that they enunciate and the way that they deliver their lines was just a lot of fun to watch and listen to. And the music in the show is fantastic. I, I think this is one of those shows that I could just put the music on at any point and just listen to it while working or doing something like that. So the subplot with the class president for anybody who's watched season one also leads to a climax and story resolution that we so rarely get in anime. And the music and the animation really cemented that moment for me as a climax. So moving on to season two, unfortunately, it felt like the main plot ended in season one. So I'm a bit confused as to what story there is left to tell. You know, I love having more content to consume, especially when I like the characters. But the worry is that that additional content will negatively impact my impression of the show. And we've seen that time and time again. So 
I say this having watched episodes one and two of the second season, at least in these two episodes, it feels like we've resorted to this slice of life plot, which maybe you would like, (laughs) with the addition of even more characters. And there's a plot event that happens at the end of episode two that may become the focus of the second season. But it's kind of worrisome that the pacing started off this slow. Um, the writers are really going to have to work hard to make this season feel like a novel product for me rather than a repetition of what we already saw in season one. And the animation quality, voice acting, and music, I think, remain strong. I think I'll still enjoy this next season because of how novel the reverse harem is for me. But the question is whether this is going to be a strong supplement to the first season or this is going to be a poor facsimile. So, you know, we'll have to see as it goes along. Yeah, I do think overall it's nice to have a show with a female protagonist that seems like it's pretty enjoyable, even if it's just a typical isekai sort of beyond that, that a show like that can get two seasons. I think it's really nice and the people are enjoying it and that you are enjoying it. So I'm hoping it it picks up on its plot as well. So we'll we'll have to see. Okay, this is the last shows of your continuous string of shows you've watched, but it's a show that I'm also really curious about and have heard. Some mixed things, but some excitement about as well. So that's Sunny Boy. You want to talk to us about that? Yeah. So I started off this episode by talking about that I've come to a number of realizations in this season of anime. And I think those are particularly in two respects. So I'll mention the first here. The first realization is I think I love the stuff that Studio Madhouse puts out. And Madhouse has put out some of my favorite shows like Black Lagoon, Death Parade, No Game, No Life, even though I've rated it a six on Mal, as you keep pointing out, as well as some of my favorite animated films like Wolf Children. And we'll also be talking about Madhouse quite a bit on our next episode, which is a review of Satoshi Khan's works, because Khan has worked closely with Madhouse throughout the 90s, putting out movies like Perfect Blue and Paprika. I mean, Madhouse is a powerhouse which unfortunately in the recent era has sort of fallen off a bit. And a lot of that is, I think, because of overworking issues, kind of like what people are worried about might happen to MAPPA currently. But yeah, I mean, I agree that they make a lot of my favorite stuff. They did One Punch Man. Chihayafuru is one of my absolute favorites that they've even been doing a little bit more recently. I feel like I'm missing a lot of Madhouse stuff. Oh, Hunter Hunter, of course, the newest Hunter Hunter. Yeah, there's a, there's mean, a ton mid, of, but... of Madhouse stuff. So how fucking dare you say that? Um, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> Anyways, continue with Sunny Boy, please. So when I saw that Madhouse was producing a psychological thriller this season, I was pretty excited because not only do I like the studio's works, but I also really like that genre. So Sunny Boy is about a group of school students who suddenly find themselves trapped in the school, cut off from the outside world. Some of these students have also mysteriously gained superpowers, creating an explicit power dynamic between those with these unexplained powers and those without them. And that's what the first episode of this show explores. Questions like how do we establish authority in the presence of this explicit difference in power? What happens when the people in power abuse their authority? Who gets to establish the rules of society? And how much say does an individual have in choosing whether or not to obey those rules? So all of these questions are presented in the context of a school setting where we already have an explicit hierarchy that exists. And they're complicated further by the fact that the school is now adrift in this unknown dimension and no one knows where they are, how they got there, or even how to get out. So I've only seen the first episode of Sunny Boy, but I'm really excited to see where the show goes and what story it tells. As one last note about it, 
I know I'm not saying a lot about it, but that's because I just don't know a lot about it so far. I think the, the questions it gives are very entertaining and I'm interested in them. But have you seen what the animation looks like? Yep. What do you think about it? It looks super interesting. And I think I'm always drawn to non-traditional or stranger animation. So the animation style definitely, I think, fits that mold. And I would be interested in watching it almost purely for that. I like anime that sort of take a risk with the way in which they animate their scenes. And this definitely seems like it fits that bill. I do want to quickly also mention about Sunny Boy that I think you're not alone in being a little bit unsure about where the plot's going to go and generally how this is going to end up. And so I think people are excited about it because the first few episodes are very intriguing, but also kind of cautious. I think I mentioned at the top with something like Wonder Egg Priority, how we've been burned before with the original anime and anime that seemed promising initially. And so I think people feel very much that way about Sunny Boy, where they're looking forward to seeing how it develops, but it's hard to complete a story and tell it fully in, in a show like this. And so hopefully it does have a clear plan and closes on all of its themes. But yeah, we'll have to see. Yep. All right, back to you, baby. All right, I want to talk about The Aquatope on White Sand, which is a show that I picked up because I had seen some of the background art for it, some of the stills from it, and that looked incredible. And it's a show that I'm really, really enjoying in its first few episodes and I think just deserves more love in general. So it's a slice of life show about this girl named Fuka who gives up her dream and gives up her career of being an idol in Tokyo. And the anime starts with her basically quitting this job and realizing that she can't really pursue it anymore, that her dream is not gonna work out. She's planning to go back and see her family. And as she's doing that, she sees an advertisement for Okinawa. And she just decides to go to Okinawa with zero plan on a whim and see what happens and basically see if she can find herself after she's feeling lost at this point in her life. In that first episode, she goes to Okinawa and she meets a local girl named Kukuru who runs her grandfather's small local aquarium. And she is working really hard to keep the aquarium from going under because they are small and don't generate enough revenue basically. And so really this is a slice of life with a story of two girls whose dreams are going in opposite directions. One is giving up her dream and trying to find herself by connecting with and helping another girl achieve hers. And it's very heartwarming so far with a really bright cast and just is really, really nice to watch. I don't think there's another way to put it that it's, it's a very relaxing, heartwarming show to watch. I absolutely cannot get enough of the direction and the cinematography. I mentioned that that was the reason that I picked it up, and I think it's kind of been praised for that. There are beautiful, beautiful shots of Okinawa, which I don't think many anime are set in Okinawa. This is like the southern island sort of region of, of Japan, and it's cool to learn about a new part of Japan and even just see a new region that I don't know too much about through anime. And I mean, we talked about Eurocamp on this show before, and Eurocamp has done that with other regions where these girls go camping in, in other areas. And so then you get to learn a little bit about the culture and just see what that region of Japan looks like. And this feels very similar in that way, but for Okinawa, which I really, really appreciate. It's slated for two cores, which I was not expecting, but I'm definitely excited about, assuming that they keep up the level of quality. It's being produced by PA Works, 
who I learned recently is sort of known for this quote unquote, like girls who work category of shows. So something like Soccer Request or Shirabako. And they typically really deliver on these shows where a group of girls have to engage in some form of labor in a specific industry. And so this is going to be very tied to local Okinawan culture and tied to sea life and this aquarium. But it just seems like a very, very nice slice of life, which I find more and more that I'm really enjoying these types of slower paced shows with nice cinematography and just really fun characters. And I would really recommend people to to watch it. It's, it's been really beautiful to watch so far. Sounds cute. Yeah. I'm excited. All right. From one water show to another water show. <laughs> Remain. So. Is this not an isekai either? I mean, everything is <laughs> an isekai if you want it to be. <laughs> They're transported into a pool. That's an isekai, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I had said that I came up with two realizations while making this episode. The second one is the one I'm going to mention here. I really like sports anime. And I truly think that's because the animated medium is perfect for sports shows because the elements that we see in shonen battle anime, things like a protagonist-antagonist rivalry, a power system with clear rules, and hype battles are perfect for elevating shows about sports, which by their nature have the same elements. Some of the most memorable moments I've watched in anime have been while watching things like Haikyuu, like Food Wars, unironically. <laughs> I can't believe you just fucking said Like clips from Prince of Tennis and Hajime no Ippo. I hope people clip this and say that Ravi's realization during this podcast that he previewed so hard was that he loves Food Wars. Dude, <laughs> Food Wars, okay, I love food. I fucking love food. I like cooking. I know that. I like You're, baking. I, I absolutely know that. You have- I make some I mean, bomb hummus, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, to, to, to really contextualize this for people, Ravi came over to my apartment. I have a lot of family in Israel, so, and I've spent a lot of time in Israel, so I know hummus pretty well. And he came over to make hummus, which I was joking I wouldn't like. I'm not actually that picky about hummus, but I was just joking about that. And this guy starts boiling his garbanzo beans, which obviously you can do and was in this recipe that he found. And I'm sure people do this, but you just don't have to. <laughs> <laughs> like hey man this is this is the best recipe that i have ever used it was i did it for hummus. you the entire time <laughs> i'm making this for like 30 minutes yanni and his sister and and our friends are just shitting on me it was very good hummus but what i was gonna say is that obviously you're into food i mean you have been in new york for a very long time now but you have you have restaurants on tap you know if you need a recommendation for this or that in in the area ravi's got you yeah i love food i mean Food Wars was the thing that really reinvigorated my love of actually cooking. I love going out to eat, but Food Wars was the one where I was like, damn, I'm actually inspired with some creativity to try and make new food. So that's why that show is memorable for me. All right. I thought you were going to say I love food. I love sex. Why not put them together? <laughs> uh, I'm not out here with those types of fetishes, bro. All right. So you love sports anime. <laughs> Yeah, why didn't, why didn't your clothes come off when you hit my hummus? <laughs> it's really what I was waiting for. Sorry, it's very right. disappoint there, man. <laughs> all right, so I, I'm saying all of this to clarify to all of you listeners that I really enjoyed this show about water polo, a sport that I've literally never, ever watched anybody play and know absolutely nothing about. So 
I'm not going to go into the plot for Remain because there's really not much else to say other than it's your standard sports anime with hot dudes splashing around in the water and lots of balls. Hot. Lots of balls being thrown around. <laughs> but the animation looks really good. So it is by MAPPA. Um, the suspense is there. I want the characters to win just like anybody wants their favorite sports team to win. So honestly, Remain isn't amazing in any respect. It's not really original in any other way than it's a show about water polo. But now that you know my preferences in food and sex, hopefully you understand why I binged the first four episodes of this show. And I'm definitely going to be watching the show in the future. Oh, man, we've got off the rails. We got absolutely off the fucking rails. <laughs> No one knows your sex preferences based on this podcast. What the fuck are you talking about? Fuck. All right. Last show. I'm going to wrap this up. You said I couldn't have a Madoka reference and you forgot that there was a fucking Madoka spinoff show. All right. So I'll wrap up by talking about season two of Magia Record, which is done by Studio Shaft. This is the continuation of the Madoka Magica gotcha game spin-off series that's to my knowledge completely set in sort of an alternate timeline i talked about this i think in our 2020 anime review because that's when season one aired and i said that i enjoyed it because it felt like a return to the madoka world and the style was very shaft and all those things that that i love but the new cast of characters made everything feel a bit disjointed and the narrative didn't seem like it was going anywhere obvious. It was just kind of confusing and jarring to watch and just felt a little off with its pacing. But only one episode of this has aired so far because it started later than all the other summer shows. But I almost want to take back everything bad I said about it <laughs> just based upon that one episode. So season one followed... Iroha, who is this girl who has no memory of her sister, but just knows that she had a sister and she becomes a magical girl in order to find her, but doesn't remember what her wish was in order to become a magical girl. And very interestingly, QB also does not remember what her wish was. So there's like this mysterious setup to what was Iroha's wish. The rest of the season is basically her meeting other magical girls in this very specific city where, quote, magical girls can be saved. And they investigate this group called Magius, which basically just takes very extreme measures by brainwashing members and creating what's called this doppel system, which I won't get into the details of, but they're trying to forcefully create a system to circumvent the fate of magical girls turning into witches. That's basically all of what season one is. And it sort of ends with an info dump about Magius and about the things that we already know about how magical girls turn into witches from the original Matoka series. So this is an alternative timeline. It's an alternative timeline. In the first season, you saw a bit of Mami, who is still alive and is in this sort of new city called Kamihama City, where all these events are taking place. And at the very end, there was a little bit of Sayaka as well, basically trying to rescue Mami, who has sort of been corrupted into a little bit of evil, and we don't really know why. The first episode of season two pulled me right back into being interested in this for a few reasons. And people were sort of prefacing that have played the game that know that the story picks up a lot in the second half and that they were sort of saving everything for season two. So I will say that this completely spoils, this episode specifically completely spoils everything about the original Madoka. So if you should definitely go watch that first before you even think about watching this. But in season two, all of our original cast are back together 
in what seemingly is one of Homura's time loops where she's still kind of the innocent reserved version of herself trying to find a way to save Madoka. And her, Sayaka, and Madoka basically claim that they want to try to save Mami, who has gone to Kamihama City. And it just seems like there's going to be a ton of crossover between the original cast of characters and these new group of girls fighting Magius and this organization that's trying to bring Walpurgisnacht to Kamihama. And Homura basically says in this episode that this is something different that hasn't happened in any of her time loops thus far, is this promise that magical girls can be saved in Kamihama and that they'll probably make the journey over there in order to save Mami, but also for Homura to try to find a way to save Madoka from her fate, which is what she's trying to do in the original show too. The animation quality and the fight scenes in this first episode were insane. So I'm really, really hoping that this is going to turn out to be a nice crossover between the newer characters and the older cast and that this narrative is going to be coherent and that they can keep up the quality to the point where it's just really good and will make the setup of season one worth it. So I was really intrigued because basically the whole episode was about an original cast of characters that I know and love and that they're going to be fully brought into the story and not just sort of in the background like they had been in the first season. So I am cautiously hopeful about where this is going to go and that the whole thing together will end up being like a decent entry into the world of Madoka, but we'll have to see. I would say if you're a Madoka fan, maybe wait a few episodes to see how season two is turning out before you kind of take the slog of season one just to make sure that it's really worth your time. But if you love the world, then it does feel right at home in that world. And so I would recommend it maybe for that. Has Homura done anything wrong yet? Homura has never done anything wrong in her life. Okay, good, <laughs> good. Just, just making sure. All right, so that wraps up the summer 2021 pod. I wanted to mention the other shows, as we usually do, that we didn't have enough time to watch but that people are talking about. So the first is The Detective is Already Dead by ENGI. I know this is relatively popular and, and people are talking about it, so it seems like relatively enjoyable if you want to look to the mail description and check that out. Peach Boy Riverside by Asahi Production. People are also seemingly enjoying. I've heard it's kind of a typical-ish battle shonen, but it might be enjoyable if you're looking for more action in your anime. A new season of Higurashi is out. So if you enjoyed Higurashi, there's more there. You actually have seen some Higurashi, which I have not. Yeah, so there is the original Higurashi from earlier in the 2000s. And then we recently got Higurashi Go which was marketed as a remake of the original. But after the first two episodes, fans of the original actually noticed that it's not a remake. Instead, it takes a different direction entirely. So it is very interesting. And then this is just a continuation of Go here. So I am about three quarters of the way through Go. I haven't had a chance to finish it, which is why I couldn't start Sotsu. But I will definitely, as soon as I finish uh, Go. It's a great show for anyone interested in psychological thrillers, a little bit of time travel and time loops. And it is probably one of the most suspenseful and or horror shows I've ever seen. So quite enjoyable for anybody interested in those themes. Yeah. And then lastly, I I should mention specifically because Katrina has been tweeting a lot about it and actually did the translation for Kageki Shoujo. We didn't get a chance to watch it. Katrina seems to love it, but she also did the translation. I mean, she doesn't love everything she translates, but she's been talking a lot about it. So I'll probably get around to it. I have heard some people really praise it for tackling some pretty, I think, touchy 
themes in the shoujo and being pretty dark in some ways. So that sounds pretty appealing. I've also heard a few people be a little bit less hot on the way they handled some of those themes, but I probably will check it out because it just sounds good. And I've seen some clips that are pretty funny from it. So, which sounds weird to say after what I just said, but if you yeah, watch it, you'll, you'll, under, you'll understand what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So that's all for this episode of the podcast. As usual, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, anywhere that you get your podcast for there. If you use Apple Podcasts, it would mean a lot to us if you leave us a rating and a review. That really helps us out. Please check out our socials. So our website, bakamancha.com, our Twitter feed, at bakamanchapod. And yeah, I think that's it. Our next episode, we're going to be breaking down Satoshi Kon movies. So that should be a lot of fun. That's an episode we've been wanting to do for a while and that we're pretty excited about. So stay tuned for that. And otherwise, we've been the Bakamancha Lads and we'll catch you all in the next one. Whiff of Kirito by Bakabanter.